the airy mountain, down the rushing glen. We dare not go a-hunting for fear of little men. Do other races exist just beyond the boundaries of humankind? Legends of their existence persist across many cultures. So, what are these creatures? Beings of myth and magic? Guardians of nature? Or malign entities from darkest folklore? Join your guides Dan Baines and Fiona Marr in their quest for the truth. Hello and welcome to the Fairy Podcast episode one. This podcast has been quite a long time in the making and we've spoken about this podcast probably about for four years. Isn't that right, Fiona? Yeah, got to be at least. I'm sure it was that long ago I got Paul to do the music for us. Yeah, and yeah, that's a great theme tune, by the way, that you arranged. He's actually a member of quite a famous band, is that correct? Yeah, Paul. Paul Birchall, um, Grammy nominated and back in the day a member of M People. Lovely. Nice of you to pull some strings there and get us a, a decent theme tune to the show. Excellent. <laughs> It's quite a nerve-wracking experience starting a new podcast, and it's not that I'm a stranger to it, because I was previously a host on the Mystic Menagerie podcast, which ran for probably about three years, which covered all manner of paranormal subjects. But sort of getting back into the frame of mind as a podcast presenter again and on a new subject with a new co-presenter, always a little bit nerve-wracking. So, as I say, this is our pilot show. We are going to cover quite a lot of ground. It's going to be quite an interesting one, isn't it, Fiona? Indeed. It's such a huge subject when you think about it. People think, oh, fairies, and they might immediately think of Disney. But there's, it's a much, much bigger uh, remit than that. Uh, we've got arcane fairy folklore, um, ancient fairy sightings, but also modern fairy sightings. There seems to be an absolute plethora of them at the moment. Um, there's fairies in lit- literature and arts, especially the pre-Raphaelites. I mean, what exactly inspired them? Uh, why was this? Every so often you'll find in, in fashion suddenly the fairy thing will come back in the 30s you looked at the clothes of, of the flappers very very fairy yeah which very, very much influenced like the Cottingley look of the Cottingley fairies they were very fashionable fairies yeah, and then we had a modern one not so long ago, the Rossendale Fairies. Uh, another friend of mine, um, or has since become a friend of mine, an artist by the name of John Hyatt, took some photographs. I was amazed to find little figures on the photographs when he actually um, developed them. And that became really, it, it was a huge thing, a bit like your own venture, Dan, with the Mummified Fairy, which, again, we're going to talk about. And also a chap we've both been working with recently on... Uh, a comedy show called The Unexplainers a chap called John Rutledge he did a very similar thing when he took photographs and found little figures on those and the actual show is actually on air now isn't it on uh, on, on BBC yes it is on BBC Wales it's it's very funny as well and you, you can access it on iPlayer as well if you're uh, an overseas um, listener you can obviously access it using a VPN and get the BBC iPlayer or if you're it is a regional show but it is on the standard iPlayer and uh, we both we both filmed their episode on fairies which hasn't been shown yet as of um, the release of this podcast so it should be in the next couple of weeks so as as of as of this recording i think it's possibly going to be in four weeks from now um as far as i understand anyway it looks like we, we are closing the series it's a big big finale and it's us so that should be fun um but there's also there are people who talk about uh, and write about um urban fairies charles de lint now many years ago when we first talked about this i spoke with him and asked him if he'd like to be interviewed and he said yes then so hopefully that's still true after all this time but the other one is the wonderful sebastian bonkevich who had a series on bbc radio 4 called pilgrim which i know is incredibly 
popular with people who are interested in fairies. Um, about a pilgrim cursed on the road to uh, Canterbury uh, in medieval times who's been forced to wander the world ever since and is sort of like um, somewhere between um, the, the fairy world and, and the real world. So that's really interesting. And of course, there are, there are wonderful shows like Yordscott, which I know it qu- captured your imagination. I think I put you onto that, didn't I, Dan? Yeah, in both ways. I mean, you've seen season one of your scott which is very um nature based out in the woodland and then you go to season two when it's actually in the city so as you say fairies uh, or urban fairies and how the legend kind of continues there that the urban theme brings us into things like to psychogeography and the idea of spirits of place and that certain places are going to be more active as it were, uh, for sightings. I went to a very interesting talk, um, which was um, run by a chap called John Repian. And it was very much about that we were all walking on ghost soil wherever we've been people have been before and they've experienced what we experienced. So that was fascinating. But going back to kind of like the things we're going to cover you've got all then the different branches of fairies you've got this idea of davers which the idea of davers are almost like the victorian flower fairies that they are little guardians that oversee everything and whilst that sounds really fanciful then you bring it forward to the findhorn foundation where uh, the original founders of findhorn um, founded a garden in scotland in a place where you should not be able to grow anything and by working with these nature spirits they ended up growing sort of 40 pound cabbages and all sorts of crazy stuff so this huge findhorn foundation has come out of the whole idea of davers and then you've got sort of things like war so you've got the idea of gin being found in iraq from which we get the word genie um and there were, there were soldiers out there and they they really came to believe in these things and they were saying you know when the locals won't go to a certain place you don't go either and it's not because of you know fear of explosives or anything like that there's definitely a strange spirit out there and there's an interesting book psychic warrior by david morehouse hopefully we'll be able to follow that as well um then you've got all the the uk hot spots you know you've got cornwall is is really supposedly a real hotbed of fairy activity and i'm hoping to go down there and do some field reports talking about the gin earlier on uh, the fairy folklore subject is such a, a wide um, sort of all-encompassing subject if you look at it on a broader scale i mean you've obviously got in, as the intro suggests uh, you know their legends persist across nearly every culture looking at it from a more physical perspective as well i mean i'm particularly interested in nearly every aspect of the paranormal but I kind of always gravitate back towards fairy folklore. So if you look at cryptozoology, so you have aliens, Bigfoot, and then along the lines of just subjects of missing time, missing people, even poltergeists, it all kind of goes back to or can be attributed at some point to fairy folklore. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, just because we've dressed, whatever these entities are, be just because we dress them in sort of 18th century, frock coats and call them fairies and then put them in shiny silver spacesuits and call them aliens i think they're the same thing whatever they are you've got the idea of the slanted eyes these almond eyes in a, a green tinted or silver tinted flesh now and just the white body as well yeah that describes fairies as well as it describes aliens you know we seem to have a persistent blueprint whether it's really memory or what that these things look a particular way and it's translated from fairies to aliens and it's very similar um they talk about aliens being insect like uh the whitley streber book communion particularly he talks about the insect like nature of the aliens who are abducting him yes okay he's now admitted it was a work of fiction at the time people were undecided when it was first published but you keep hearing sort of how insect like fairies are um although i have to say it was only in the victorian times that we gave them antennae and and wings a lot of them before that didn't actually have wings in the folklore no no a bit like peter pan uh, which we'll discuss in probably later episodes i mean he flies and doesn't have wings yet he is um fairy like if we talk i mean going back to how we have the the typical gray alien if you go back and look at books written by arthur macken um who wrote a book called the white people 
the actual description of the beings in that which are essentially fairy folk are white naked beings which for want of a better word just perfectly describe the grey alien today I think any listeners who've found this show will obviously have found it because they have some interest in fairy folklore otherwise they wouldn't be here in the first place and I think that all of them would agree that it's okay and socially acceptable to talk about aliens and Bigfoot and missing time and all of this without prompting any ridicule from people around them but if you start talking about fairies down the pub automatically you're going to be outcast as some crazy nut which I think we both have been at some point in our lives <laughs> definitely it is just seems to be that word uh, I, I wrote a, a novel about them and ended up having to invent another word I used the word metahominid which is ancient Greek for other men uh, which I felt was a more at that time acceptable word I think you and I have become slightly immune to it because we're using it so often now and I, it still shocks me when you talk about fairies and people look at you sort of askance you know but I have to say there are enough people claiming to have spotted them to have felt their presence to have had their lives really radically altered by the presence of fairies for good and for bad because remember in folklore they were never a positive presence in people's lives they were somewhat ambivalent you'd have the odd brownies who'd help people out do a bit of housework you know but then you've got the nastiest side where they steal children away and leave changelings in their places um and it's kind of like the ambivalent idea we've got about aliens some seem quite friendly according to you know people's encounters and others no it's awful it's abduction and it's lost time anal probes and uh, all that business (laughs) i mean i kind of find myself in a quite a strange position because i'm not your atypical fairy enthusiast to either look at or you know if you look into my background which we'll cover later on i don't come from a a new age background um i come from a scientific background i come from quite a what i would consider a macho background so if i when i go to your fairy festival and people know my background but also know my interest in fairies i actually get the strangest I actually get I get people coming up to me who would never normally approach someone and tell them about experiences they've had. So I've you know I've had ex paratroopers come and tell me about very strange experiences they've had and things they've seen um, because they feel that they can talk to me on a certain level, whereas they wouldn't feel comfortable going up to maybe someone with dreadlocks and tie-dye tops on and telling them about their experience um so in that respect it's kind of good because i'm not saying you're dreadlocks and tight hair and tie-dye but you are you know you're more you're no 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 but you are you are sort of a more yeah i'm right in the center of this kind of massive group of people because i organize this this huge fairy festival i also organize mind body spirit first so i'm right in the middle of a load of pagans witches healers you name it all the way through although i don't have any affiliation to any one of these particular belief systems you know and but like you i also have an abiding interest in science uh, and I like the idea that um, as human beings, we have evolved with the universe evolved to look at itself, which is what the new physics states. And it just makes me wonder what the, these other beings, what their part in that is, what their part in the universe is at, at, a, at a physical level. And by that, I mean, psy- no, physics, not psychic, if you see what I mean. That's what I'm trying to say. But um I find that, yes, I do get sort of, you know, the wild-haired people coming up and going, I saw a fairy once, blah, blah, blah. But I do tend to get middle-aged ladies sidle up to me and say, well, actually. And I've had a couple of photographs sent, which are quite interesting. Um, and and it's, I think between us, you and I, we can't to cover an awful lot of people and we appeal to different people so i think we're going to get as many stories as we can sent to us you know and also if anyone out there is listening now and you're itching to tell us your story then please please get in touch yeah um towards the uh, the end of the show and on the actual um in the show description which will be on itunes there'll be some contact details on there and if you listen to the next show we should have the at least a web page or a website up and running where you'll be able to contact us directly 
let us know if you obviously have any stories that you'd like us to tell i mean we we are, we are avid collectors of fairy encounter stories to add to our own which we'll discuss later on in the show absolutely and even better photographs if you've got any photographs yes because this is the great thing now people we're all carrying wonderful machines in our pockets that take really good pictures and so now is the time of, of any time of any any generation we're ready to to get proper pictures of them we are but it's one of the strange things in in all manner of paranormal subjects especially you know ufos we do carry all of this technology around with us which enables us to capture anything at any time yet it would appear that there were a lot more pictures of ghosts and ufos available 20 or 30 years ago than there is now but it, it all depends as well we have a much more skeptical mind when we look at images nowadays because as we know it is so easy to to fake you know create computer generated images so maybe they're they're out they do exist but people are less forthcoming with them because they think they'll just get told they're fake i don't know maybe maybe that's the case yeah i mean we're going to cover the whole cottingly fairies in a later episode yeah. but pretty much those, those pictures did for arthur conan doyle's reputation and bearing in mind this is the man for those who don't know this is the man who created sherlock holmes yeah and he was considered one of the finest minds of his times and he he came up with these fairy photographs and despite kodak telling him that they were single take that they hadn't been fiddled with and the the, the wings were moving mm. in the shots you know he was absolutely pilloried by the press yeah. uh, and really had a bad time over it and it's a bit like you know airline pilots being unwilling to discuss seeing ufos it's the same sort of thing fear of ridicule probably yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so there you go that is in a nutshell what we're going to be discussing throughout the fairy podcast for how many episodes it runs for but um, the the format will be we're, we're going to talk for about an hour we're generally not going to let it run further than that so we'll keep it nice and punchy and provide you with as much information as possible but what we're going to do now we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment when you think of fairies do you think of tiny women with wings and a magic wand to ward away evil? The fairies of Celtic tradition are more serious creatures, not to be made fun of, not to be taken lightly, and never to be underestimated. They cause illness in cattle and people, and worst of all, they sometimes kidnap a healthy child and leave one of their sickly changelings in its place. listening to the fairy podcast what we're going to talk about now is how fiona and myself actually got into the subjects of fairies as we said before we come from quite varied backgrounds and we are quite scientific art but artistic at the same time um, but there are various things in our lives that have brought us to this point so i don't know if you'd like to kick off fiona okay well uh, really i guess i've been involved in interests since i was a little kid um my father was from ireland and of course i grew up instead of sort of the usual fairy stories he told me all about uh Tirnanog, the land of ever- everlasting youth and all the irish to do about fairies um, but it wasn't until I had a very odd dream I mean I've had encounters we will be talking about our individual encounters later but I had an odd dream and it was simply a gate in a lane a country lane five bar gate and this tiny sort of greenish hand stretched up and dumped a handful of objects on the gate post uh, which had a flat top and it was um, a, a coloured pebble a sort of uh, aquamarine colored pebble a twist of copper wire a feather and a seashell and it was only afterwards i realized they represent the four elements of course as are earth air fire and wind anyway the little hand vanished uh, whoever it belonged to they scarpered and the whole gate blew up and it was so violent i was really shocked within the dream and then it was almost like watching a film and the camera pulls back and there was a watcher and it was a chap in a car and he had his hands on the steering wheel and I was aware he had odd coloured eyes, one green, one brown. And he said, trunk heads, I hate them. 
And from that one sentence came a novel, The Last Changing. It took me nine months to write. I flew through it. It was almost like it was channeled. And this was a fairy story, but very much for adults. And the person in the car was D. I knew exactly who he was. But chunkheads wasn't the right term because chunkheads was for gnomes. So you think of the classical drawing of a gnome. It's sort of a, a small figure with a large head and they're the earth movers yeah they're the guys who work with rocks i was thinking more of sort of um you know the victorian the way the victorian artists showed gnomes because they were always sort of the little old men Uh, a bit like the bankers at gringotts if you've seen harry potter that idea their gnomes anyway so uh from that i i wrote this book and long story short i haunted about for a year and in the end a friend said look i've got some isbn numbers have one self-publish i did it's been in uh 20 odd times number one bestseller on amazon it's bizarre the way it's gone it just went huge uh but before then i was trying to push it i went to a very small event at a lovely castle called whittington castle in shropshire and it was a little fairy day and i thought what a good idea and that night a light bulb came Came on, and I thought I could do a massive fairy festival in Clangothlin, which was where I was living at the time and down the road from where I am now. And the reason I chose Langothlin was twofold. First of all, physically, it's where they hold a thing called the Internationalized Desert. And for those who don't speak Welsh and don't know Welsh culture, it's like an Olympics for poetry and song. And all the nations of the world roll up once a year on Clangothlin's doorstep, and they have this incredible event event at this beautiful pavilion and the rest of the year the pavilion's pretty much underused so I thought well we've got a great place to stage this event and also Clangothan has got quite an interesting um, connection with fairies that being um Langothlin is named after St. Cothlin and he allegedly fought the fairies on top of the nearby hill now Glastonbury have exactly the same story and it turns out they've nicked our story because uh, they use the terms in, in the legend so same idea St. Coughlin banishes the fairies from the hill uh, they use the terms Tullus Teg which is Welsh for fairies and the king of the fairies they call Gwyn Apneith well I'm sorry Glastonbury but you're in Somerset and they're Welsh names so <laughs> we're pretty sure that Glastonbury nicked that but they <laughs> They poach the yeah, story. Yeah, poach the story. And it's very similar, if you look at it as well, it actually does look like Glastonbury. It's a very similar construct to Glastonbury Saw. It's a castle on top of a, well, a tower on a hill. And there is a further connection in that St. Cochran, before he came and founded the town of Llangothlan, he actually lived at Glastonbury. He was the abbot of the monastery there. So that's your connection. So yes, so it, it makes absolute sense. And they're sense. both entrances to the underworld, is that correct? Absolutely. I think, well, that yes. one, yeah, well, that one is obviously if they've poached the story then Glastonbury is also a supposed entrance to the underworld so anyway I wrote I wrote the book I then set up this fairy festival and it's it's about to have its seventh uh, year this will be in August Uh, it's always second weekend in August and it's now the biggest fairy event in the UK and I've got people coming from all over Europe and it is huge so um, it is it is I can vouch for that I've been five times six times I think I, mi- I missed last year I just couldn't make last year because of childcare issues but um, been from the very beginning and uh, it is an amazing event yeah and it takes a lot of my time as you can imagine but as a, a byproduct of it I get to meet people like you John Hyatt all sorts of people uh, and what happened I'd taken a part time job and somebody was being a bit naughty and having a skive and this girl sidled up to me and showed me her phone and she said do you think this is real and there was this astonishing picture on Facebook of the mummified fairy and I was a bit cross I was like you know because I was working flat out and she was just skiving I was like Argh. I said no of course it's not real and then afterwards it was so strange it just shows you it, it's always sort of people you never think who bring things into your life and that girl certainly did because I looked at it again and I thought "Mm, Dan Baines I'll try and get him to the fairy festival and that was when we made contact so nearly seven years ago now and my goodness yeah didn't we talk (laughs) 
We did, yeah. Well, we had that initial phone call where you rang me up because you was interested in, or well, you still are going to feature me in your second book as a ca- with a cameo role, um, which I was v- very chuffed about. Obviously, I've never been included in a novel before. Um, but then you did invite me along to the Fairy Festival to do a lecture on... I think I did a lecture on making mummified fairies, I think. I can't actually recall. I did yeah. two lectures. One was making them and one was actually about the the hoax which we'll talk about in a moment um but um yeah it was an amazing event uh, a bit overwhelming um and again i felt a bit like a fish out of water there's uh, obviously quite a a wide range of characters who go to the fairy festival range obviously ranging from quite wild characters to quite normal characters as well but yeah it was a bit, it was a bit strange for me i've never been in that that sort of environment before but i'm now now comfortable with it <laughs> well, it, it's it's really, there's everybody from the hardcore total believers through to the little tiny tots who adore their Disney fairies, you know, and all are welcome because I, I thought, because I actually make the fairies the bad guys in my novel because they always were in folklore. And I think there's a certain strength and a pride in that. And I quite like the fact that fairies can be badass. I think it's a good thing. And what I found, because I thought all the all the sort of um, the very floaty fairies into the Disney type, you know, stuff, people like that would really despise what I'd written. But this fact seems to be as long as you're talking about fairies, they don't mind. So that was really good. And what is lovely is is the huge range of people who come. You know, we do get the odd bemused dad wandering around, you know, but then you get dads who will fling on a wig and a pair of wings and really enter into it with their kids, you know, and it's lovely and we get cosplayers and we get all sorts you know and it's great i really enjoy it i can thoroughly recommend it if you're based in the uk and you're around in it's august isn't it usually around the 11th is that right second weekend in august pretty much so it it can it can vary the dates can vary it's the 10th and 11th of august in 2019 if that gives you an idea you don't have to venture too deep into into wales to enjoy either no uh, it, it's really this is the great thing with Langothan. I mean it is really well connected via uh, motorways you know so people come from all over the place we get them from the far north of Scotland we've had a Dutch contingent we've had French people coming you come all the way from Kent you know and we have them coming from Cornwall and everywhere so and Ireland so it's everywhere and uh, I'm talking about Ireland I'm actually hoping to go over there not not too distant future and do a field report from a farm that is supposed to riddled with fairies so we'll see people have actually been frightened off the site so we'll see if i get a good night's sleep or not that should be interesting our first field report yeah <laughs> yeah so the last changeling just to quick pl- quickly plug it for you it is. is available on amazon it is now. it's available yeah. as a paperback or, or as an ebook um and it's pretty it's it's what can i say it's got i think 100 reviews at the moment it's doing all right um and I, I've been I've been so nagged to crack on with book two, uh, but I've just finished. I've just done a degree in writing. It was a bit like sort of going around with the dust before the cleaner arrives in releasing a book before I did a degree on learning how to write. But, you know, <laughs> hopefully that will feed into book two and, and I'm hoping to start it at the end of this year. Mm, great i mean as i'm writing a book as well but for me it's it, i can only describe it as like swimming through treacle right um i find it you know you're obviously much more of an accomplished writer and even though i i am attempting to write a book it's probably going to be a fair few years before that actually comes out but it, it will eventually come out but yeah the writing is uh, i'm artistic and i do like writing but i just find it very very difficult it is a hard thing to do it it isn't easy. I think even the even the people who are good at it, you know, will say it's tough. Uh, there's there's all the oh gosh, what was the guy who did Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Douglas Adams, bless him. He was famous for really hating writing. Uh, he was the guy who coined the phrase. He loved um, deadlines. He loved the signs, uh, the sound of them as they whooshed past. Um, and <laughs> yeah, his his agent would do anything to get him to sit down and write. You know, he said it was so, he found it so tough. But um, in the meantime, well, before I got on with book two, I've actually written another one about the Cottingley Fairies, and that's doing really well. And that's that's an actual factual book. So, 
Yes, so keep an eye on that out for that one. That's available. And that was featured in the Fortean Times as well, is that correct? That's right, yes, yes. It was a cover story in six pages inside. And also I did a, a talk about it at Doomsday, which was quite interesting. And it was very, very well received there. That was the first airing because I, I discovered two new photographs, which was just bizarre. Um and so we'll cover that in another episode, though. So I won't go in too much into it now. Prior to all of this, to seeing the mummified fairy, I wasn't even aware of Dan's existence. So, Dan, get us up to speed. How did you come to actually do the mummified fairy? Right. Well, yeah, this is the thing that got me into where I am today. Uh, I'm now actually a full-time artist, and, but I do come from a very unartistic background. I'm actually ex-military, previously worked in intelligence and have served during the Bosnian conflicts as well as the Gulf. And I'm also an expert witness in audio and video forensics. And I've worked on some quite high profile cases, which obviously I can't go into here. Um, but it's not the typical background you would expect from someone who's quite a, a good interest in fairy folklore like I do. But when I was working back in forensics, I obviously saw some things which weren't particularly great and I needed something to do in the evenings that was going to take my mind off what I'd seen during the daytime. I think I think I've gone over it with you before, Fiona. But like the the worst thing probably about video forensics or audio forensics is that you're not you know you're not going to a crime scene and looking, for example, at some like ballistics or DNA. You're actually listening and watching a crime actually happen. And if that crime is someone being murdered or someone being raped, then it's something you have to watch over and over again in order to glean as much information from it as possible. So after a hard day at work. You know, the, the natural thing is to go down the pub and get wrecked, which I did for quite a few years, but I needed something a little bit different. And I was an orig originally an art student. So when I left school at 16, I obviously did very well at art at school and went to art school, but found it awfully boring. And the people there were too pretentious and it just wasn't my scene at all. And that force, well, it didn't force me to join the armed forces. I just wanted to get away from everything really you know derby and in you know derby and just art so i joined the navy and off i went and traveled the world for eight years but coming back to forensics i actually started doing art again as a way to in a way exercise my demons you know from the daytime it used to give me a bit of a a bit of relief i used to draw and make things i started designing illusions and props um I started getting a bit of an interest in magic so I started to actually design my own illusions which I used to sell on eBay for like £5 so it was a bit of an extra bit of extra pocket money one day I saw a, 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 a it was in the the Metro newspaper and you probably remember it but it was they had a feature about a mermaid that had been discovered in Mexico on a beach and there was this image of a white sort of sun-bleached mermaid lying on the sand I don't know if you, read, yes, you ever see yes, that picture yes I remember that yeah yeah, yeah. It was by an artist called uh, Juan Cabana, and the story starts off as if it is a genuine mermaid that's been washed upon a beach. But we read down through the, the the news reports; it actually reveals at the end that they are just fake mermaids that have been created by this artist. But that kind of planted a seed in my head. Really, I really wanted to make something along those lines, and being from Derbyshire which isn't very, you know, it's not near the sea at all. In fact, it's the furthest point from the sea in the UK for all our overseas <laughs> listeners. It is slap, slap bang in the middle of England and it's quite high up and hilly. So there's no way I could... Uh, you couldn't do, do a mermaid. A mermaid. No. <laughs> no, but there are, actually, with, without going too deep, maybe cover it on another show, there are two mermaid legends in Derbyshire, which I didn't know at the time. So having had I known that in the past, I may have done another mermaid and the mummified fairy might not have existed. Ah. Um, but I, I ran with I thought to myself oh actually I'll, I'll, I'll make a fairy you know and I, I went to a museum called the Welcome Collection which is in front of Euston Station and I bought myself a little 8 inch anatomical skeleton which cost about £10 um, I stole a toilet roll from work and I went home made some <laughs> made some like paper mache with some acrylic paint some toilet rolls put this little plastic skeleton into a pose of uh, you know that you typically typically find a corpse lying in covered it in this mixture stuck it in the airing cupboard and when i woke up in the morning there was this like mummified dried out creature which i thought well, i thought to myself wow that looks 
quite good actually you know for an experiment so i decided to stick some wings on it put some hair on it and i took a um a forensics evidence bag from work and i got my wife to wear a pair of rubber gloves and we just had our kitchen refitted so it was all very white and pristine so it looked a bit like a lab um so i just got my wife to hold this little mummified creature that i'd made with the bag with the forensics evidence bag in the background took some photographs of it and then i tried to i took it to all the newspapers in the uk it was it was towards the end of march so it was about this time in 2007 and i thought you know it'd be a great april fool's report for one of these newspapers so i went to the derby evening telegraph who looked at it and laughed at it and said yep that is you know our readers just won't get it it's no good so they'd rejected it i had some contacts at the uh, the sun and the mirror and what was the news of the world newspaper they looked at it as well and just kind of rolled their eyes at it and thought you know what a load of crap no one's going to believe things like this you know for april fools nowadays we need something a little bit more classy maybe a bit more political and current you know people aren't going to believe things about fairies so i was a bit sort of i just felt a bit downtrodden really i'd created this thing i thought i could do something with it and no one wanted it and as a last dish attempt i sat at the computer one night and i wrote a story to accompany uh, the photographs i'd taken of this mummified fairy and i just thought to myself well you know if anyone's going to believe it the americans will so i sent a, I sent the actual story through to the about pages which is owned by the new york times uh hang on i've got to stop you there though because your story was incredible the backstory was brilliant it was so so realistic and it was the idea that a dog walker because it's always a dog walker had it is always a dog walker figures outside a barrow and i you know i'm sorry i think you're doing the americans down there because i think a lot of english people would have gone for that i really well the, the ironic thing is that um you know it was published overnight and then all the then all the english papers did pick it up and everyone did believe it hang on is this the same papers that you'd already offered it to as a fake yes it is yeah even the, they all contacted me back personally even the derby evening telegraph and said i use it i use a guy who's got the mummified fairy and i was like i am but i contacted you about two weeks ago about this story and you weren't interested and they were like no 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 this is like featured in the mirror and the new york times and that i use the guy and i was like yeah i'm the guy so i kind of just rolled i rolled with it <laughs> brilliant it went viral though didn't it it absolutely went viral it did brilliant. it did go viral and it kind of got out of hand i let it run for a week um i was doing radio interviews um newspaper interviews it was on the bbc um, 10 o'clock news as their like funny feature at the end and it just went on and it just got out of hand and i started getting thousands and thousands of emails from people who were avid fairy believers i had druid priests telling me that i needed to return the body uh, to its original place or you know i would get I, I would have you know 10 years of bad luck and i had all sorts of um, weird and wonderful emails which unfortunately i lost which i can go into l- a later date but um you know it was a huge episode in my life that destroyed my career eventually well a bit like a bit like dear old conan doyle it destroyed your credibility didn't it it did it did destroy my credibility to the point where i you know i briefly left the world of forensics to work in special effects for a while and when i tried to get back into forensics nobody would employ me again purely based on the mummified fairy hoax it's extraordinary yeah i mean for listeners who've never heard about it before you can go online uh, it's got its own wikipedia page just type in mummified fairy hoax and you will find hundreds and hundreds of articles on it i think at one point it was voted one of the top 10 hoaxes of all time which i'm kind of kind of proud about it's coming up in the top 10s as well i've noticed so that's pretty it good does. yeah but it is one of those things that fairy enthusiasts do kind of hold it against me as well i'm even though i'm i'm very interested to have a serious interest in fairy folklore a lot of people ostracize me for the fact that i did do the the mummified fairy hoax you know if anyone any listeners if this has put you off listening because i did the hoax don't let it put you off because i i've had um personal experiences which can't be explained and i do have a genuine interest in it um it's just the fact that i kind of went about it the wrong way <laughs> yeah but it's a bit like my novel making my you know the fairest badass i don't think anybody who 
didn't have a genuine interest could have made such a good job of it or could have created such a good backstory for it. So I think I think those who are saying, you know, that who are, are not prepared to listen to you, I think are being a bit short-sighted in that. And I think they've got to understand. I mean, you know, of all things, belief in fairies, it's a very broad church and there's a lot of people coming at it from all different angles. So, you know, I, I'm prepared to listen to anybody who's going to talk about fairies, be interested in fairies, you know, because there is a good chance I'll find out something I didn't know before. That's it. And in a way, it was a gift as well. Um, I was in a, obviously a high-pressure job, which hasn't done my sanity much good over the years, I must admit, but I'm kind of hanging in there. But now I'm a full-time prop design artist. I work for myself. Obviously, as I said before, I mainly design illusions. Um, So I've produced effects for some of the world's top magicians. I get to travel around, meet lots of very interesting people. And and what about a certain film director, I understand? Yep, yeah, I've just... um, My work has not long finished a tour of the US and Canada in Guillermo del Toro's At Home with Monsters exhibition been to Bleak House had the full tour met Guillermo himself you know it's opened a lot of doors for me and I've also consulted in occult topics for various films and TV shows so it's, it's taken me down a very a different route so they, they've really changed both our lives haven't they really fairies they really have impacted hugely upon us I said in a weird way it's when I was a teenager my great my biggest dream was to become a full-time artist which is why I went to art school and obviously I ended up in the armed forces and in a strange twist of fate I am now actually a full-time artist I think it's great though because I think that kind of like the fairies they were, they've taken you away from what you were doing which you thought was great at the time was doing you no good as you said and they've given back you know I feel that I feel incredibly grateful because I've got a career now thanks to Ferris you know we wouldn't be we wouldn't be here talking about this but for them you know we we wouldn't have met you know we wouldn't have had sort of like all the fascinating discussions we've had so you know i think we've got a lot to be thankful for so thank you fairies yeah yeah thanks to the fairies <laughs> but um, if any listeners are interested in obviously the the mummified fairy hoax and everything else i get up to I, i've got a blog and an online artist portfolio which is just simply it's just at danbaines.com so it's very easy to find and it's baines with an e so b-a-i-n-e-s so if you go on there hopefully though hopefully once the web page is up you'll have a picture of the mummified fairy on there as well because i think there are there must be people out there who haven't seen it and want to have a good good nosy and see what it's all about yeah i think most people will have seen it. it's been in so many magazines i actually got to the point where i actually had to get a, a publisher to take on the fairy photographs because i couldn't handle the amount of press requests i was getting for the photos so that's incredible it's now owned by rex publishing media in london and i get like a little royalty check every year and they and then a pile of magazines that it's been featured in from portugal and australia and france and you name it and it's still doing the rounds now and this was like 2007 so yeah well i think it had been going what five years odd when when i spoke to you yeah and i think you were surprised because you thought it had all died down by then yeah and of course it hadn't. it's just one of those things it's going to keep going round and round and round and i think long after we've both gone as well you know looking at the costingly fairy pics this is why i'm trying to write a book on it so at least i can pass the story down to my children because i'm sure if i can actually get it down in writing and have it published then it's it's always going to be there and it'll outlive me anyway so people can get the the story as it should be but that's i've I've kind of you know i've nailed about 75 percent of it but it's it's, the last 25 percent as i say it's like it's like climbing a mountain and as soon as you get what to what you think is the peak you see there's like another you know there's another 200 meters to go so it's that it's almost there and i've got a a very loyal patron you know patreon backers on the you know on the patreon page that i do have for the book and they're loyal and still they still entrust me to finish this book so i will i will finish it it's just one of those things that i just need to sit myself down and do it (laughs) that's me and fiona in a nutshell really i'm sure if you listen to the show regularly you're going to find out a lot more about us but that gives you kind of enough if you wanted to dig around into our 
accomplishments and work you can find much more online uh, if you wanted to go down that route and my name for the record is spelled m-a-h-e-r and the last changing has got a picture of uh, baker street underground uh, randall on the cover so uh, m-a-h-e-r but it's pronounced mar so there you go Mar. FR Mar, yeah. that's it. So, um, because you didn't want people to know if you were male or female, is that correct? That's right, because it sounds awful, doesn't it? But a lot of uh, a lot of men won't read what women write, but a lot of uh, women will write will read what men write. That's why uh, they were suggested J.K. Rowling should be J.K. Rowling, said Joanne. Um, and I, I just thought, well, she's done well enough. I think I'll I'll take a pointer from her, <laughs> and uh, and it does seem to have worked, you know. But um, prior to this podcast, I was kind of like um, an ominous grease. I was kind of an unknown, just just this writer who put this book out and then this other one about the Cottingley Fairies. But it's it's had so much positive reviews now. I just feel, you know, maybe it's time to step out from the shadows and say, hey, this is me. Uh, What was interesting, though, two other books of exactly the same title came out the year after. So do look for the one by F.R. Mark, because that one's mine. Uh, and in fact, you remember at the time I had quite a lot of involvement and interest from strange people being stalked and followed. But again, we'll go into that in a future episode. What went wrong at the yes when the book came out? I like anything. It doesn't matter what subject you pick. You're always going to get a, a small contingent of people who are quite strange. I mean, with the fairy hoax, I actually didn't mention this, but I did have a number of death threats. As soon as I I released the fact that it was a hoax, and I'd made a statement, and it was quite apologetic, but I kind of turned it around in a way to make it quite nice and sugar-coated, that it kind of sparked someone's imagination that did trigger a lot of um, death threats from people. Well, I think I think your problem was that you were working for, for an organisation that was almost part of the government, so they were able to say, this is disinformation you're working for the government fairies are real and that's why they'd see you as the enemy yeah people actually thought it was still real and people still do think it's real oh absolutely it's the same with the Cottingley fairy photographs it's the same with a lot of sightings you know that perhaps we would find slightly dubious you know not that we're in we're in the um we're here to debunk anything because we're certainly not because i know more than anything we want to say yes they're out there and they're real you know so that that's kind of like part of what this this podcast's all about i think what we'll do now we'll take a another short break and we'll come back and carry on our discussion into the world of fairies bye for now so what is that and they they told me that's the fairy we've talked uh, to various people about you know john and revelation describing locusts that uh, have wings and I I have pictures of creatures that look exactly like that and if you look back to John's time during Revelation with his limited use of language it's very uncanny that that's to me what he's describing and these creatures are here now you're listening to the fairy podcast Hello and welcome back to the Fairy Podcast. And what we're going to discuss now is our own actual experiences with what we believe to be fairy related. I know you, uh, Fiona, have had quite a few experiences in your life. Is that correct? Well, yeah. Um, I grew up in Warwickshire, which um, in the bit really where Tolkien based the Shire. And I used to spend a lot of time in the woods. And there was all this idea that there were things moving around, but they were just in your peripheral vision. And if only you could turn quickly enough, you'd see what they were. But it wasn't until I was up in Grasmere, I went to a workshop about Davers. You know, I spoke about these little creatures, almost like flower fairies. And I actually saw these pale, they look like pale flames, almost see-through flames, dancing across this this surface. And I was aware of this kind of, it's very, very odd, but it was almost like voices. Um, And as part of the course, you were sort of advised to uh, sit within um, the aura, that's a very, very floaty word, sorry to use it, but of a tree, and try and sort of contact the days of the fairy of the tree and i chose one of these big fir trees and what i got was amazing because it was like a an information dump it wasn't it wasn't sort of verbal but it was suddenly straight into my head i knew exactly what they're all about it was communication and whereas trees are very slow growing this particular energy was mercurial 
And I realized then that in Stone Age, from the Stone Age to through to sort of Iron Age, uh, all the ancient trackways of Britain, the way they used to mark them was they'd have a hammer pool in a dip and they'd have a lone fir tree at the at the top so you went from pool to tree to pool to tree you know whether whether the land was undulating or you'd go from tree to tree on a ridge and so it was all about commute that was how people commuted how they got about and then later on we're straight through to telegraph poles and i thought oh my god it's all about communication and that really was an instant in information dump and that was really curious um and there was another time i was at glastonbury actually at the festival and people had constructed this sort of copper pyramid uh, out of you know copper plumbing pipes and it was beautiful and they'd hung it was more air than pyramid believe me it wasn't like solid pipes all the way up and they'd hung wind chimes at intervals and i'd been obviously this was influenced because that day i'd been talking to somebody about O'Carolan, who was a blind Irish harpist and he used to go and sleep on top of fairy mounds to get ideas for songs and music and he reckoned that he, he could hear the fairies and I was I was listening to this and what should have been random you know sort of jingling noises from these wind suddenly became the most complex jig I've ever heard and rattled off at like such incredible speed and so expertly done and I'm like, slow down, slow down, I want to hear this. But I only thought it, I didn't say it. And then I just got this kind of burst of laughter and it was finished. And that was like, whoa. You were, obviously, you were at a festival in Glastonbury, but you were sober. I was sober. I was not under any influence of anything. Really, was it? And it was like, oh my God. And I just started sort of learning sort of musical stuff. And I was thinking, that is incredible. That was really strange. And there's other times, I mean, I, I used to take my cat walking with me. I used to do lots of walking in uh, Wales. And there's a place called Capel Kerrig. And there's the most beautiful valley there. And it's got fabulous plants like butterwort, all sorts of unusual things growing. And I just got this absolute don't bring this cat in here and there's there is a big thing in fairy folklore that fairies really don't like cats which is really strange because people i find who like fairies do tend to like cats at the same time because i I actually hate cats so (laughs) that's probably probably that's probably why i i'm fairy blood because i actually despise cats it's your fade blood (laughs) so i had him on a lead and i remember um at one part of the valley first of all he wanted to investigate under a bush where an adder had crept in and I dragged him out of there and then we just walked through the woods but we got into this this very narrow valley it's it's absolutely classical because you can imagine you've got sort of um, hit, um, mountains rising on either side so it's a perfect sort of v-shape with you walking along the bottom of the v and this feeling got so intense I actually picked him up and stuffed him in my rucksack which he was happy to do because he liked being carried you know but it was very, very odd. And, t- and then we the valley opens out and it was a completely different feeling. But in that enclosed area, it felt incredibly hostile. But it didn't feel like it was aimed at me. It felt it was aimed at him. So those are just odd. It's to do with feelings. It's subtle. It's nothing you can necessarily photograph in my case. But go on. You had an altogether stranger thing happen, didn't you? I did, yeah. And it's it goes back to when I was probably about five years old. And it's pr- the most vivid memory I have of being a child. And uh, we'd, we'd moved to an area... If anyone's seen Yord Scott, it's, um, it's, it's not that rural, but they were flattening down woodland and fields in order to make way for a new estate so the estate was quite new and it was still being built when we were there we were like one of the first families to move in to the estate so it was still pretty much a building site yet surrounded by countryside and my auntie had bought the house directly behind my parents house so the back gardens backed onto each other but in order to get to her house i had to walk probably for half a mile around the estate to get to the house it was the 19 early 1980s so you know we had no fear of child predators and everything children were free to wander around and my mother had given me something to take to my auntie's so i got i took it i don't know what it was it was probably like some money or a cake or something you know irrelevant like that 
um, but it was a sunny day it was probably about 11 o'clock 10 o'clock in the morning and I, I walked around the block and I was going up the hill towards my auntie's house and something behind me caught my eye and it was either a noise a loud noise and it caused me to turn around quite sharply and I think it was probably someone like starting a lawnmower you know that initial sound and so I look round but in the meantime my head was obviously facing backwards and my body was walking forwards and I walked slap bang straight into a lamppost and knocked myself out the next thing I remember this is where it gets strange I was actually floating on my back at about chest height and there was three people with me and they were all blonde all very attractive and the one in the middle was I got the impression it was like the mother and she was flanked by two children who looked exactly the same as her and we're talking the long blonde hair almond shaped eyes very pretty faces the mother had a hand on my chest as I was kind of floating and she I don't remember her mouth moving but she asked me where I lived and where I came from and I I kind of couldn't really answer and she told me not to worry but she would make sure I got home okay and bearing in mind this is on a I think it was probably like a Saturday morning and it's sort of you know sunny and there was people out mowing the lawns and washing the cars I then proceeded to float all the way home with these three people but I was in a kind of a weird sort of static bubble the only way I can describe it is in like The Hobbit where um, Frodo puts the ring on and it makes the mm-hmm. everything around you all hazy and static so everything within this bubble was purely you know visible but everything outside like the cars going past and people mowing the lawns were almost separated with a sort of smoky glass you couldn't really see what was happening but I was in this kind of bubble and they took me home and they laid me on my drive and they just left me there and disappeared and my mum said she kind of came out of the house and found found me lying on the driveway with blood running down my face um, but there was no one there and I kind of never thought about it again until I was probably about 10 or 11 and I started to ask my mum who the people were who brought me home when I'd banged my head and my mum was like no one brought you home she goes I found you in the gar- in the front garden she goes you fell off the garden wall in the garden and I said no I didn't because I'd gone round to my auntie's and I hit a lamppost and knocked myself out and these three people brought me home and she was adamant that no one ever brought me home so it, as I got older I found it just strange that how someone would find a child unconscious on the streets and just lie them on their drive to their house and not even notify anyone at the house that their child is is injured you know what i mean it just doesn't make any sense and the more i kind of thought about them and looked at the you know, i can picture them in my head now i can actually draw them for you they weren't bog standard 1980s people you know the fact that they both had like long blonde hair they were both they were all very attractive they were all dressed in white and this just strange floating feeling and as I kind of just got older you know I think if I was an American I would probably said I'd been abducted by aliens coming from the sort of more sort of a uh, folklorish typically English background where we don't really believe really in you know aliens as much as our sort of friends in the US I just thought to myself they they were fairies you know I've always thought in my head that they were fairies um, I've never thought anything else I like I like the idea of the talking without the lips moving thing and it is that seems to be really important part of it this this is something that I've heard before in encounters that you know you you don't know why you know something you just know it you know and it's like the the way they impart the knowledge but that that's I've incredible. still got the scar on my head I've still got the scar yeah on the front of my head where I hit the lamppost and there's absolutely no way you could have fallen off that wall and done it no no because I actually remember walking yeah. around the corner and walking up the hill I can actually I remember the whole thing you were very lucky you weren't stolen though if yeah. they were and the, the, you know? the thing is well maybe maybe I'm a changeling maybe, maybe I was I was swapped yes. I don't know <laughs> maybe you're not the original dad no, <laughs> no. but the, the wall in my, the wall in the front garden is like a foot high you know yeah. 12 inches high you know if I fell off that I wouldn't have cracked my head open this was a, a definite slap bang into a lamppost and yeah. then you know I was carried home I can I can even show you the point where I was floating on my back on the streets on, on the actual corner of the road it's still there the lamppost is still there the corner of the street is still there where I was floating and the route home is probably about a five minute walk 
and you would have thought you know if there was three people carrying a child that was bleeding along the road with you know everyone sort of doing their daily sort of Saturday morning someone would thing, have seen you someone yeah. would have seen something yeah. or said something and no one ever did I just somehow made it back to my house um, in one piece so but there's no doubt in my mind that it was a, a real experience and what took me home I, I, you know as strange as it may sound to some listeners um, fairies yeah I mean the other experience I had as well briefly is um, one that I actually got from fairy festival where a man came up to me he was an ex-paratrooper and he said can I have a word with you and I said yeah yeah and he goes I've never really told anyone this before but you know as you're kind of an ex-forces chap and you know you, you won't see me as being a bit strange he said but they went to Port Merion and his wife did which is a um, like a little sort of strange little town in Wales I love Port Merion um, yes what, yeah it's, it's very it's like something out of a Doctor's Use book well, but in real life it was where The Prisoner the 1960s TV series The Prisoner was filmed yeah and it's an Italianate village and it was built by was it William Clough Ellis I think it was yeah. the name of the architect yeah it's a very it's a very peculiar place he was telling me that yeah he went for a walk in the gardens him and his wife decided to go a little off off the beaten track because there's a lot of little sort of country walks which lead around these yes. little lanes and it's very picturesque lots of different types of trees and foliage growing and he said they found a break in a wall a gap in a wall and they thought oh we'll go through there and take a bit of a you know go and explore he says as they stepped through the gap in the wall it was almost like they entered some form of static anechoic chamber where they went through and all the sound disappeared there was no sound and all the hairs on their arms and back of the neck stood on end as if it was like a an, a ele- an, an electric kind, yeah. field yeah and him and his wife thought it was so strange they walked through it that when they'd walked through it they kind of felt it fade away and the sound would come back and it was so odd that they went back and did it again and it did exactly the same thing as they wow. walked through this gap in the wall now in fairy folklore, a gap a gap in a dry stone wall. If everyone's any what anyone has watched Stardust, will know that it is. It has been noted that a gap in a dry dry stone wall can be a portal to the fairy world. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite common in folklore. So, I, th- I thought this story was really intriguing. So, after I think it was before um, the fairy festival about three years ago, me and my son decided to go to Port Merion and as I was there, this story stuck in my head. And I said to my son, I said, well, let's go for a bit of a, a walk, uh, the area where all these country walks are, and let's go and look for this gap in the wall. And Port Merion, if you go in, so as you go on the right-hand side, that's where all the walks are, and there's a dry stone wall yeah. which surrounds the whole of Port Merion. So we followed the dry stone wall, and we found three points where there was a gap in the wall which was broken now the two we found were a bit too close to the path to be off the beaten track but one of them which we found we walked through it and nothing happened but we did find a point probably about I don't know 10-12 feet away where if you stopped and listened it was distinctly more quiet than anywhere else and it was a summer's day you know it's august in wales there was birds and bees and you name it and there's obviously talk yeah and all the visitors, all the visitors. Well, but if yes. you stood in this one spot which was about sort of 12 feet away from the wall you couldn't hear hardly anything it was if someone had taken a volume knob and turned it down to about a one or a two whereas normally the sound would be about a seven or eight you know and we stood there and there was no hardly any sound at all not even the wind in the trees it was purely still and strange and i'm pretty sure there's something odd there but what it is, I don't know. Again, it may, well, it makes you wonder what brought, um, you know, William Clough Ellis to actually build place that there. there. Yeah. Of all the places, yeah, because he was actually rescuing buildings from from all over the continent and bringing them back and rebuilding them on on the spot you know but it has got an eerie kind of magic i have thought about doing a fairy festival there because i think it would do very well you know but it's beautiful 
beautiful as well. It, it's, it's a very strange kind of beauty. Um, and it's the last thing you expect in Wales as well. It is. Well, it's just incredible. Yeah, it is the last thing you expect in Wales, but in terms of it being a little bit sort of spooky and fairy-like, it's probably something you would expect in Wales. <laughs> <laughs> it would, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. perfect in that. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. That's like my and, my and Fiona's experiences. Obviously, if you, are, if you are a listener and you do have any experiences, then, you know, you can contact us, uh, subscribe to this show and listen to our next show. We should have a, uh, a fully dedicated page up and running where you'll be able to leave comments. And if you've got any experiences, just let leave them there and we can talk about them on the show. Indeed. And I think we're going to have a news sort of roundup. So latest sightings, things like that, that will be in future episodes. We are, yeah. I do like to keep keep up on your fairy news. So I like to just, you know, have a look what's on there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, every time there's a particular um, uh, celebration, we were not long since uh, St. Patrick's Day has happened and the papers were full of folklore about um, the leprechauns. And there are a couple of stories in there I hadn't actually come across before, which I thought was quite interesting. So, Yeah, I'll probably feature those on my blog as well. I, uh, as I say, I'm going to make a concerted effort to start start blogging again over the over the easter holiday so I, sh- I might cover one of those stories in the blog um so what we'll do now is we'll take our final break and we will be back to you in a moment have you had an encounter with the reform you can't explain we'd love to hear about your experiences send your tales to stories at the So that's pretty much it from the Fairy Podcast. Thank you for listening. Yeah, it's been a great first show. Uh, I think anyone who's listened to the uh, the show in its entirety will now have a bit of a grasp on what we're going to be covering as the podcast progresses. Hopefully you found it interesting and found something in there that will keep you coming back for more. We've got our first show, our next show. We're going to start from the basics, really, aren't we? We're going to start with something that's familiar to everybody who has an interest in fairies. And I suppose even if you've not had an interest in fairies before everyone will have heard of the Cottingley Fairies. Yep, and so the next show is indeed the Cottingley Fairies with the Sherlock Connection. As I've mentioned earlier in this show, um, the whole um, event basically came to light the moment Sir Arthur Conan Doyle got interested. Um, There'd been some limited interest in these photographs. They were taken by two little girls in the early 1900s and that's when the world woke up to these pictures. So if you want to find out more, please tune into our next show. Yeah, I know we're roughly going to do one show a month. Um, subscribe via your favourite podcast um, app. And we will see you again in a few weeks. And thank you once again for listening. Thank you. Subscribe via your favourite podcast streaming service and follow us on Facebook and YouTube.